What up? Welcome back to another episode of The Unity Factor. Today we have a very special episode as we have a very, very special guest in Ice-T. I first off want to give a big thanks to my uncle and Ice-T for coming on to the show. This is a wonderful opportunity and hopefully it gives us the chance to inform our listeners. Within this episode, we talk a little bit about the medical marijuana business and Ice-T's life in general. The purpose of talking about the medical marijuana business is because Ice-T is currently opening up a dispensary in Newark, New Jersey. This episode is a long one, but I promise you it's a good listen. I think this is our best episode yet, and it's something I've been looking forward to posting for so long. Enjoy the episode, and thank you very much. Welcome to, 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 to the Unity Factor. Welcome back to another episode of the Unity Factor. It's your host, Julian Fernandez, and co-host Josh John and Jonah Wade. Today, we have a very special guest on the pod, Tracy Morrow, or as he is better known, Ice-T. Um, Ice has had a lengthy career in the music industry, along with starring in the hit TV show Law & Order SVU. By the 90s, he soared to the top of the music industry by releasing a couple albums and bringing him to the status as one of the best artists from the West Coast. In 1989, he founded his own label, Rhyme Syndicate Records. Ice has been nominated for multiple Grammys and has won one as well. Welcome to the show, Ice-T. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? You started this episode off with what, what, what we call our government name. You gave out my government <laughs> <laughs> That's okay now. I'm not breaking the law no more, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you want me to edit it out, I can. Just let me know. I don't really care. I think by now people know my name. It's just... Back in the day, no, no, everyone was on nicknames. You know, like don't say my fucking last name, dude. Are you crazy? Like <laughs> taboo. But yeah, was yeah. Ice T a, a name that you like grew up with, or did that kind of start when your music career started? Like, how did that name kind of come about? Also, well, you now you know my first name is Tracy. So uh, when I was growing up, that would be considered a bitch name. You know, when I would meet guys, they'd be like, Tracy, man, that's a bitch name. So I'd have to end up fighting you. To f I just met you. Right now we fighting. <laughs> so, so I was like, then I started calling me Trey for short. And uh, then I was called Crazy Trey for a while to give it a little, little zing to it. And then I started reading an author named Iceberg Slim, who was a writer who wrote about the life of being a pimp and things of that nature, street hustler. And I used to memorize those books and uh, people would say, say some more of that iceberg stuff, T. So ice T is really short for iceberg. Um, my, my, my close friends call me bird, like short for iceberg. So it has nothing to do with the drink. Although it rings like the drink, that's a quick way to know if somebody doesn't know who they're talking about if they write my name ice t-e-a that's when you just diss them and say shut the fuck up <laughs> um well i guess we'll start off with um tell us a little and you just told us a little bit a little bit about yourself um but i guess what inspired you to go from like a career in tv and music um to the marijuana business um and marijuana industry oh wow well you know when you're in when you're in uh the entertainment business you you quickly realize that you're actually making your living basically requires you to be in front of people. You're physically making the money, even though there was once upon a time where records had royalties. Uh, most people right now make their money off touring. You know, the live concerts is where it's at again. And when this pandemic hit, it made me it made it. Very clear to me that, yo, Ice, you actually make your money working, standing in front of people, whether it's doing Law and Order or whether it's doing music and concerts. So people in my position, athletes, are always looking for some type of business that they can invest in that could, you know, they can have uh, another income stream that doesn't require them to, you know, break their neck. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, act, you know, something different. So the marijuana business was always something, you know, that was on the back burner. I bet I, I don't really get high. I don't smoke weed. I don't even drink. So my son, 
he's involved in the medical well he's involved he had dispensaries in california and he has been involved with the marijuana business for years so he kind of like was like pulling my thing dad dad you should invest i'm like how do i invest i don't know so then i knew luke burnett who was a friend of mine from years and years and years just being an orange county cat that i knew in la and he opened up a dispensary in uh california and he was like hey if you want to get into the business let's open up one in new jersey and uh me being born in new jersey and now a new jersey resident it seemed like a fit so i mean it's strictly business to me although i know it's a lucrative business but all the pieces just kind of came together so my son is actually going to run it so is he like the head of it or is he just going to do the work for you while you sort of invest your money within the business itself? Yeah, my son will come out and manage it and help basically be the the owner of the business in Jersey. Luke and Cherith actually are the, you know, like the franchise that we're connecting to. And, uh, you know, we're just going to try to make it happen. You know, uh, New Jersey right now, they have it medical, but they haven't gone recreational but you want to get in, you know, on the ground level. So, yeah, with me, it's just truly a business opportunity. Um, so, like, in your music, you know, it's well documented that you were involved in, like, gang culture, um, gang violence. And now that I read that you're, like, a very vocal critic of gang violence. Um, so how did your upbringing and this lifestyle kind of influence either your decision to open up these dispensaries or how just influence how you see, you know, the marijuana business now in general. I don't really know if they connect in any way. I mean, me growing up being around gang violence and stuff of that nature, I've always warned against it. It was crazy for me to come from it. And then as I grew, watch kids that had nothing to do with it, want to be involved in it. And I'm like, everybody that's in the ghetto is trying to get out. And then you've got these cats hustling backwards, like deciding to get involved in crime. So anybody who's ever been involved in crime to the level I was would never tell you it's a good idea. So, you know, just that me looking for something legal to get involved in. uh, I don't really see how they they, those two questions connect Uh, other than. Other than maybe it's showing the growth of somebody who came from the from that lifestyle of being a criminal and breaking the law, now trying to turn around and do legitimate businesses and enterprises, uh, it's never too late, you know, to get on the right path. Right. And, and when, when you were growing up, I guess there was no there was no legal weed business at all. It was still. Now super- we sell weed when we were young. We used to sell weed but we were selling what you guys call stress. It was like you would get like five fingers, a bag of weed, a fat bag, five. That cost like, you know, like that was a $10 bag or $5 bag. It was like, you could make a hundred joints out of that thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it, it was nothing like the weed that there um, you guys got now. I was actually with Dave East, and my son at one of his dispensaries in uh, Los Angeles. And I was sitting in the back room and I'm not afraid of weed. I just don't smoke it, but I got, I was in like a chamber and they were smoking every kind of weed. Like they were like, yo, try this. This is like called dead body. Or try this. (laughs) This is, uh, you know, micro dust. So they're smoking all this kind of shit, you know? And dude, I I was so fucked up. I stood up, did a 360 and sat back down. I don't even know where I thought I was going. And I was like, yo, I don't know. So the new weed is, is, is super potent. I don't really see why with the weed now that's legal, why anybody would need any other kind of drug. And if anything there is to me about this whole thing is that by making marijuana legal, hopefully you'll detour people from doing some of the dumb drugs. 
you know, like I made a deal with my son. I was like, look, I'll never come down on you for anything, you know, weed wise. Just stay away from syrup and stay away from the pills, you know? Hmm. Right. And now they got the like, they got scientists, you know, doing all the cross pollination and they got like, you know, genetic people working on that stuff too. It's much more like complicated, you know, business. But I think it's safer too. Yeah. I think it's safer too. I mean, like I like people always say alcohol is legal and you can actually kill yourself drinking alcohol. You could die from alcohol poisoning. I've never heard of anybody, you know, dying from marijuana. I mean, if anything, marijuana just makes you I call it chronic delay. It makes you delay things. Like if you say, Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go to the gym and you stand up and you go tomorrow. You know, like, like yeah. I mean, but if that's if that's the only thing bad about it, I mean, come on, you know. So I, I I don't have a problem being involved with it or pushing it or promoting it, and you know, seeing the business grow. So uh, you said that you've never, I think, drank alcohol and never smoked weed or cigarettes. No, I, 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 I've oh. never smoked weed. I've never smoked weed. I drink alcohol. Like if I go out, I'll sip champagne with you. I might. I, I'm. I'll sip a little vodka and cranberry. I just don't. I don't have liquor in my house. I don't drink beer. You know what I'm saying? I'm a social yeah. drinker. I'm mm-hmm. a social drinker. I'm not afraid of it. That's like I'm saying. I've been around so much weed and so many drugs in my life. I'm not afraid of it. See, I, me personally, iced tea. I'm an orphan. And I have no mother, father, sisters, brothers, aunts, or uncles. So I always, when I was growing up, I thought being high would compromise my safety. Does that make any sense to you? Like, I knew if I hit the ground, like, you ever you seen your boys and they get drunk and they end up on the floor? Yeah, well, and you're, you're going to fall back too? Yeah, I never had no one that was job to pick me up. Right. You feel me? So I was yeah. just like, and I lived in such a crazy hostile environment of guns and violence that I'm like, I need to be on my toes, man. I don't know what the fuck y'all doing high, but I need to be on my toes. So it was kind of like a safety net for me too, being uh, sober. And what happened was, as I was growing up, the guys in my neighborhood liked it. I was like the designated driver sober dude before that was even a thing. You know what I'm saying? So you got a crew of dudes that are going out getting fucked up and wild and they'd be like, ice is straight. So I would talk to the police. I would make sure everybody got home safe, you know? So it became cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you touched on that, uh, that lifestyle living in the inner city and how, uh, there were a lot of guys doing drugs and whatnot. Um, and we know that because of the war on drugs, it hurt many communities of colors so immensely uh many people look to new dispensaries as a positive force in their communities so what impact do you think your business will have on the community uh especially inner city communities both economically and socially i mean i think you know people don't necessarily want to break the law you know so i think that having a a dispensary hopefully it'll become legal and recreational It'll give people a chance where they can go, you know, get their weed, get their flowers and, and and not take a chance of breaking the law. I mean, there's so many people in prison right now for marijuana, uh, you know, crimes mm-hmm. and it's stupid. And then you got it legal over here and you got somebody over here doing 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all going to have to come out in the wash. I think down the road. You know, they'll decriminalize it and they'll, you know, hopefully release some people from prison for it. Yeah. It's, I mean, imagine that if you're sitting in jail right now on weed and Colorado's got it totally legal, that would make me go crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the money that's wasted putting these people in jail and having them and keeping and keeping them up in jail. Well, it's not money wasted because the jails are making money, you know? So you've got the, you know, the industrial uh, prison co- complex, which wants inmates in jail. Yeah. You know? So they could, you know, when they started trading uh, uh, prisons on the stock exchange, 
you already know they got to keep them packed. Yeah. So it's it's so much bullshit that goes on behind the scenes. But putting people in jail for marijuana has got to be one of the stupidest things. Yeah. I mean, many people call it modern day slavery. Um, you know, they just changed the way because inmates can be used for free labor. And there's so many people in prison for these low level drug drug offenses. And uh, they get like 20 years and that's just free labor for the state. So, well, I mean, it's in the Constitution. If you yeah. read it, it says slavery has been abolished except for the convicted felon. Yep. So, you know, when they first started to make the prison camps down there, if you really do your history, once they freed the slaves, they just as quickly imprisoned them and had them picking the same cotton. Most of the early prisons were old plantations. So, yeah. you know, most people don't want to really get into the history because it'll really make you mad when you really see and you really, what we say, track the movement, watch how this operates. But at the end of the day, you know, I just believe that this is going to be a, a big industry. When you got people leaving Wall Street, getting into the cannabis industry, you already know it's, it's, it's something that's booming. And, you know, at, when alcohol was illegal, there was a lot of money that was being made by the gangsters. And then when it became legal, the other gangsters got the money, the politicians. So gangsters are going to run it one way or another. <laughs> right. Um, and going back to the thing you said about like safety and, you know, it's a lot safer with, with the official businesses. It was the same thing with alcohol, right? Like they'd be the, the gangsters who cooked up alcohol, you know, people would die from these like bad batches of alcohol and all that. So I think now that they got it legalized, you can put regulations on it, you know, how, what you grow, what chemicals you use on it and all that stuff makes it safer for people. Well, you know what it is? America wants to get high. And, um, you know, like the Mexicans will say, the cartel will say, United, uh, we don't have a drug drug problem. United States has a drug problem. You know, that's why they're able to export it. People in Mexico ain't high. We're high. You know, so it's, it's, it's something about the United States, the stress level, the, the lifestyle here that says people just want to, you know, they need something to, re to relieve this stress. You know, we're not selling cocaine back to Mexico. They, they're, they're moving it up here. I mean, we happen to be the number one consumer of all types of drugs. So that's a question you got to ask about the American public. Why do they want to get fucked up? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, you know? Sure. Why are they the number one consumers of drugs? You know, this is the United States of America, land of the free. But, you know, when I was involved in the game, I came out of it knowing that I might have hurt a lot of people. Um, especially if you're dealing in hard drugs, coke, heroin, things of that nature, or if you're dealing in, you know, hardcore crime like armed robbery, kidnapping, things of that nature. You're traumatizing people. I don't give a fuck if you walked in the bank and handed a note to somebody, you're fucking somebody's day up and possibly their life. I just don't see any damage in this. You feel me? At this point in my life, I'm looking to do things that are important. I don't want to hurt nobody. I don't want that voodoo. I don't want the bad vibe over my head. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get involved in something that's really going to hurt people. And I've had people try to get me to promote alcohol. And I'm like, I don't really drink. I can't consciously promote alcohol. You know, my wife drinks, but, you know. But even though I'm not really a, a marijuana user, I'm not a marijuana hater either. You feel me? So, and since my, like I say, my son, he's 27 and he's heavy in it. So I'm just kind of like financing something that might be able to be big for him down the road, you know? Yeah, for sure. And as, as a dad should do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a lot of these communities that are like now opening up dispensaries, I mean, it's creating jobs. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's doing, it's doing positive things for community. And it's, well, I'll, tell you something, I'll tell you something interesting uh -huh. from the inside of the game as, uh, we 
had to approach the mayor because in order to get a dispensary, it's a lot of stuff. First, you got to find a city that is willing to have dispensaries. Then you got to go to the mayor. Then you got to go through where it's zoned. Like it has to be put in a certain place. Then when you get all those ducks in order, you got to deal with the health department. Then when you get all that right, you got to send it to the governor. But when we went to the mayor, where we're trying to set do ours in Jersey, there's two types. You can have a dispensary or you can have what's called a vertical license. Do you know what that is? No, I no. don't. Well, a, a dispensary license allows you to sell it. A vertical license will allow you to grow it. Now, if, if you're in a state that's not California, you have to grow in that state. You can't ship it from California to wherever it's being sold. You understand? You can't transport it. So yeah. it has to be growth. A vertical license requires a lot more money because now you're trying to do a grow. But the mayor and the people were more interested in us doing a grow because it employs more people. Mm-hmm. So going yeah. back to what you said, the, the cities are more concerned with how many people will this put to work? How much tax dollars are going to get kicked back? And it's definitely, uh, that's all they care about. Yeah. So within this business, do you think it will be, it's an important thing to legalize marijuana um, across the U.S., like nationally? I think it's inevitable. Uh, I think it'll take time. It'll probably happen over the next 20 years. You know, some states won't. I mean, think about it. Like gambling was only available in Las Vegas for a long time. Now you can gamble in, I think, like 48 states. Yeah? Yeah. So it has to, it has to turn out to where the government realizes that it's a financial benefit to them. It ends up being money at the end of the day. It's going to be money. How is the money going to move around? Uh, you got cats on the street selling drugs. They're not paying any income tax. They're not doing anything, but it's, it's they're the only ones receiving it. So the governments are getting smarter. Like, why give this money to the cartels? You know, why give this money to somebody other than the government? So they can maybe, t- I mean, how about having the dispensaries can help public schools? There's so much right. money. And once again, I'll say this again, marijuana to me is a victimless drug. It doesn't, it doesn't kill like, like so many other drugs do, you know? Um, So I don't, I I just think it's a matter of time. I think it's a matter of time. Yeah. So going off that, when you're talking about other drugs, uh, I was going to ask you, so along with um, the movement to legalize marijuana federally. There's also a, a growing movement to decriminalize other drugs like heroin and cocaine, where you'd move from um, prison time as a punishment for for usage to like a government treatment program. So with like safe injection sites and therapy and all this stuff. Um, like, so we're wondering, what is your stance on that? Like the decriminalization of harder drugs. Well, it's two different sides of the thing, and, and, and being from the other side of the game. You could de- decriminalize for users, but then the dealers—that's a whole nother game. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? mm-hmm. So I don't—I don't really think that people that use drugs should be going to prison for long terms of time. That's like saying a guy that buys a prostitute should spend a long time in prison. You know, it's like most people that buy drugs—you know—a lot of them are addicts and. Once you become addicted to a drug, you have lost control. Right. And it, it's, it's almost like a, a life or death situation for you. So they're kind of like, even though they might have started it, they're victims. Even though they might have been the ones that got the ball rolling, you know? Nobody straps you down and shoots heroin in you. And it's like, it's a choice, but it might, it might be a terribly bad choice. 
And I think a lot of that money can be saved, like you say, toward art, toward education, rehabilitation, and, and just, you know, getting people not to start to begin with. Uh, when the riot broke out, people asked me, Ice, well, how do you stop a riot? I'm like, the best way to stop a riot is never let it get started in the first place, you know? So how do you stop drug addiction is you just don't, you prevent people from starting in the first place. And, you know, I, I think there can be much more attention to telling people, especially with the opioid crisis. Right. Look, when, when, when crack came out, at first hip-hop thought crack was cool. And then once we saw the devastation it did to our communities, we made crack whack. We say, yo, that shit is whack, dog. Now you don't even want, if you smoke crack, you wouldn't even want to tell anybody. It's so taboo. And it's so, it's so not cool. So I think with the right people and the right money put in the right place, there could be a movement to move people away from a lot of these drugs, you know, just by making it so uncool and so undesirable that people really realize how stupid they were, you know? Yeah, for sure. What and, do you also, think, and also, like, I, like, you know, a lot of it, it's funny, like, the new music, you know, and I'm not a hater, but it's funny, like, back in the day, we would rap about drugs, but we wasn't rapping about being drug addicts. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the new guys, they're singing about being drug addicts. And I don't know if that's a smart thing to do. I, you know, it's like, and then they're dying off of it simultaneously. You know, there's a thing with the rock star. Yeah. You know, we're I'm deep in with the rock star. The best music comes from pain. It comes from adversity. A lot of people that don't have adversity decide to simulate adversity by getting high. And then they give you that look of, oh, I'm just so distraught and I'm burnt out. And that works, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, look at Kurt Cobain, like, you know, like, that that vibe Kirk kicked out was attractive to a lot of people, but it ended up killing him. You know? Yeah. And also, so that, then, huh? Sorry. Uh, like, just when you're rapping about all these drugs, like you're saying, and then you you create, you add to that culture of it, and then all the kids start thinking it's cool, and then and then it kind of spirals out of your control, and it becomes bigger than yourself. You know? But, but why are you doing it? You're doing it because maybe sober, you're not cool. Right. You know. So if I get fucked up and I tap my face up and I, I do this shit, I can look like I'm going through turmoil. You know, now they got music called emo where they, you know, and I don't know, you know, I'm just looking at it from an observer's perspective. Like that might be sending a lot of kids down the wrong road. I mean, I'm sure gangster rap was sending people down the wrong road. They like you telling motherfuckers to get in the gang, go kill people, you know? So I'm, I mean, Hey, I can't I can't throw stones, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I think that reminds me of I remember I think it was in an interview uh, Future, who was someone from like late 2000s and then onward, where he he was in the studio with someone who fits all the things you were saying, Juice World, and Juice World walked up to him and was like, "You're the one that inspired me to like do lean." Um, and other hard drugs like that and apparently future afterwards like later on just started like crying and like didn't know what to do with himself because he didn't realize the impact his music had on this whole group of newer kids um and like my generation who listened to that music who want to be oh i want to be cool like future so i want to i need to do these drugs to be like future yeah well if you listen to the music music has music how do I say it connects to the drug of the time, right? So whatever music you're listening to, it'll match the mute. Let's say when people were doing Coke and crack, everything was static. 
That's where you got Wu Tang Clan from. That's where you get DMX from. That that energy, that psychoness of coke, which is you know wow, you know loud. But now everybody's on sedatives, so it's it's a it's a looping Percocet, Molly Percocet. You know, it's like, and it's just they kind of like in a, you know, you start drinking Promethazine, it has you in a loop, and that's the music sounds like it. So music has always, you know, run parallel with what everybody's doing. Whatever as the drug changes, the sound of the music will change. So yeah, we're in a very like real like sedated moment in music. Yeah, especially with that opioid crisis and how a lot of these things are opioids and it's sort of amazing how People are like, and rappers are sort of promoting this when it's the and biggest. Dying. And yeah. dying. Yeah, dying, especially that. Yeah. Yeah, they're taking these pills and then they don't realize it's laced with fentanyl and all that stuff. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're all, they're all dying out. Well, you know, kids want to be cool. And, and be, if being cool means being high and, you know, but, you know, nobody wants anybody to die. I mean, it, I, you could be the biggest sucker in the world to me, but I'm like, I don't want you to die. So like my son was uh, drinking syrup, you know, doing um, cough syrup, you know? And he said he passed out one time in his lobby. And I pled with him. I said, D- Ice, I said, look, man, smoke all the fucking weed, eat the weed, you know, drink the weed, <laughs> but stay away from the chemicals, man. Chemicals will kill you, dog. Plus, in a chemical, you don't really know what you're drinking. You just don't know. You know, I was I grew up in the in the ecstasy era where I knew people that were making ecstasy. Dog, you don't know what the fuck they was putting in right. there. If they didn't have what they needed, they they you know they substituted. And right now, with fentanyl, with a a a a, a, a needle drop of fentanyl. You can give somebody, you know, the feeling of, you know, whatever drug they think they're taking. But the fentanyl will kill you, you know? And who the fuck's making this shit? You know? Some dude in his garage? Fuck out of here. Yeah, like look at Prince. Exactly what happened to Prince. Yeah, so, I mean, if anything, if, if the weed business is anything just to detour people from hard drugs then that's a major plus. And like I say, with the potency of the marijuana right now, what in the fuck else do you need, dog? Really? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that marijuana business and legalization offers um, that switch over um, from if someone's addicted to harder drugs. I know like there's examples in Switzerland um, during, I think, the 90s and 2000s maybe the 80s as well, they had a very big epidemic of heroin. Um, And then they eventually decided to do what the opposite of the U.S. did, where the U.S. was hard on drugs. Um, They instead created up medical facilities in that where it gave addicts an opportunity to not – They gave, I think they gave them heroin itself, but also clean needles and things that a lot of people I think in the U.S. would find to be absurd where you're feeding their addiction – and I believe the statistic was either one third or two thirds um, would eventually become clean because they would get their life back underneath their feet. Um, and I think that's somewhere if the U.S. was to go that way, that medical marijuana could offer them that if you still need that something that you want to get high or some sort, here's a safer way that won't kill you um, and that won't hurt other people around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's baby steps now, man. You know, like a lot of things, it's a problem like when they've made something illegal so long and put, in, put so many people in prison for it, they just can't snap their fingers and make it all legal. You know, it's, just, it's, 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 it's a, it's, they got to grow out of it. But like, you know, Colorado's legal, California's legal, then they decriminalize it here and there. It's going to happen. You know, and I think a 20 years is a long estimate. And I think there'll be, you know, there'll be holdout states. But I think 
they'll be the minority. I think most states are going to find out it's simpler. And you know, another thing is, it's funny though, like once it becomes legal, it's no longer taboo. And it's like liquor stores are legal. Are you going out to buy a fifth of vodka? It's like once it becomes legal, a lot of people won't do it. They'll just like, I'm cool now. I'm chill. I don't need it. You know, I remember when we used to go to Amsterdam and my guys would be out of their fucking minds because they had never been in a, a, a coffee shop and they were fucking like jumping around. It was crazy. And the people in Amsterdam were looking at them like idiots because <laughs> they're just sitting there smoking their joint, just chilling. They've been doing it their whole life. And here come these dumb Americans out of their fucking minds. So I think once it becomes more and more legal, it'll become just regular, you know? Right, because part of that appeal is like, oh, uh, you know, it's against the law. I'm doing, you know, I'm breaking the law. It's one thing that people find, you know, but yeah, like, exactly. You know, once people are like, oh, it's just a mainstream thing, you know? Yeah, cool. No biggie. Exactly. So I think something else I was also interested in talking about, because there's these race relations within um, the marijuana business, but also within your music business, I think a lot of people, and even I think us included, sort of fell in this trap where we sort of categorize you as a rapper. And I think doing more research than that, you're bigger than that. I mean, you have your band, Body Count, correct, which is a heavy metal. Heavy metal, yeah. Um, And do you think you... When you refer to yourself as an artist, do you think you you spent more time doing heavy metal um, and some of this rock type of music or rapping? Well, I used to rap a lot, but I kind of like lost my motivation. Hip hop kind of made a weird turn, you know, and it started to become strange to me. And I was like, I, I'm not really inspired so I've been spending most of my time actually doing Body Count. We just dropped a new album, Carnivore, and I'm touring with that. Um, I mean, you know, I still do. I just, I just uh, featured on Rod of Rugged Man's album. It's just different right now, you know? I'm at a point now where by acting, by doing all my other ventures, I kind of can do whatever I want because not no particular one is paying the bills. It's kind of like, all of it pays the bills, so I'm not stressed to put out a new album or anything. So I'm in a good place. But I love it all, man. I, I love music. I love, you know, the vibe of, of, of going in and making a rap record or going in and making a rock record. I love, I guess at the end of the day, I just love creating entertainment, you know? It's fun. And what inspired you to do this um, heavy metal band, or not heavy, uh, pop, or not pop, sorry, rock music? Like, did you have an inspiration of you had favorite artists that inspired you to do that? No, that happened way back in in 92. Um, I had always been into rock because my cousin, who I lived with uh, when my parents passed, he was into rock. He, a uh, black kid, walked around the house, he thought he was Jimi Hendrix. And he kept the radio station on KMET and KLOS, the two rock stations of L.A. And I eventually learned all the classic rock groups. And, you know, I knew all the music from Edgar Winter to Jay Giles Band to Traffic to Blue Oyster Cult to, you know, I just knew every every rock band back and forth. And I, I like the heavier stuff. I got into Black Sabbath and, you know, stuff deep purple things like that and um when i made my first rap album my first song was called ryan page which i used a hook from war pigs black sabbath so i always had this understanding of rap rock music and then i would tour with public enemy doing ice tea and the kids would mosh off of rap uh, the European kids would mosh. Anytime we would go up-tempo, a mosh pit would start. So I was like, yo, man, we need to start a rock band. So one of my best friends, Ernie C., went to high school with me, could play. Beatmaster V was selling weed at the time. He was a drummer. I just collected all my boys and said, we're going to do a rock band. 
It's going to be to have the speed of Slayer. It'll have the punk's ideals of like suicidal tendencies. And it'll have the impending doom of Black Sabbath. And we created Body Count in 92. So, you know, we've been going strong over 20 years. Um, I think we got six albums out. Last year, we were nominated for a Grammy for the song Black Hoodie. And the new album, Carnivore, is out, breaking records, doing big things. So we're, you know, it's just another thing Ice-T does. It's so much shit I do, most people, you know. And, and the funny thing is, to me, like, if you're a fan of my rap and don't know I do rock, that's cool. If you're a fan of my acting and don't know I do music, that's cool. If you're a fan of the rock and don't know I do rap or act, that's cool. Because regardless, you like some part of me and that's more than any more than most people can say (laughs) (laughs) so i don't care what part you like as long as you you like that part of me okay that's cool don't gotta like it all do you think have you ever come up with any situations or struggles where and i think it's rock is really a largely proportionally sort of stereotypically white um genre do you think anyone has ever said anything or anyone has ever said put you down or anyone's like questioned you and made you seem um, not legit? Well, the first the first um, hit record Body Count had was a, call, call, a song called There Goes the Neighborhood. And it was based on that whole thing. You know, here come them fucking niggers and them fancy cars. Who gave them fucking niggers those rock guitars? Who let them in the club? Did you make them pay? Who let them on the stage? Who's letting them play? Don't they know rock's just for whites? Don't they know the rules? These blacks are too hardcore. This shit ain't cool. Those blacks want everything in the fucking world. That nigga played so good he took my fuck motherfucking girl. There goes the neighborhood. So we came in knowing the eyes would be raised, but we just kicked ass. We, we came in through the door and early... We were embraced. I mean, our first tour, one of our first tour, we were out with Guns N' Roses and Metallica. So we came out like that. Henry Rollins, Slayer. Um, I've got duos with Slayer. I got duos with Lemmy from Motorhead. So all the major rock motherfuckers embraced us. And the fans had no choice. They had no choice. They were like, how the fuck can I hate Ice-T? And he's up here hanging out with Perry Farrell. He's doing songs with uh, 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 all my favorite bands. Maybe I'm the sucker, you know? And, <laughs> and I mean, I've worked with everybody from Ministry to DSI to, to Napalm Death. I mean, we've done everybody. So, you know, some people just might need to get a late pass and, and check it out. They might like it. And you have come across sort of like this controversial music and people don't like you or people think you're out of line. Um, I think one of the best examples can be seen um, with that controversial song titled Cop Killer. Um, And sort of in the recent months, we've seen a lot of things with the police, people not liking the police, people wanting to defund the police. Um, Do you sort of feel those sentiment, those same sentiments now? Well, you know, 20 years ago, I was telling people, yo, these cops are out of pocket. And, you know, police brutality hasn't increased. Just filming it has. Yeah, for sure. You know, and if there were no cameras, they'd still be denying it. But, you know, people got to know that just because you become a cop, you don't become a saint. And some of the cops are good and some of the cops are out there just, you know, being assholes and you you know the good cops have a problem because there's an oath they take uh you know the blue wall they're not going to rat out their buddies they're just like a gang and i've been playing a cop on television for 20 years so i already know how the cops move they move like a big gang so you know i'm just glad that now people are becoming more aware that of the stuff I've been saying was not me just making shit up. I've been vindicated, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like ice has been telling us this shit. 
you know? So. Yeah. So um, on that point, what do you think needs to change in order to achieve full justice and equality and how we police uh, our communities in America? Well, I, I just think they need independent uh, investigations that go again, go on with the police. I think the police have to be held accountable. Um, there's a lot of ways, but they have to break down that theory of, you know, that when that good cop wants to step up and say, hey, we're breaking the law, that they don't shut him down or shun him or put him out of the police department. You know, there are good cops that hate to see some of this shit. And it makes them look bad. So there's got to be a policing inside the police. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's ways that if you think of all the lawsuits that go against the police, well, you know who pays the settlements, right? Taxpayers. We do. Yeah. (laughs) It's like we're suing ourselves. Now, what if when they got sued, that hit their pension? Mm. I think. If another cop saw a cop breaking the law, he'd be like, hold up, that's going to affect me. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Over money. When people say defund the police and all that, you know, that's a nice catchphrase. But the truth of the matter is you need cops. Yeah. Because you got cops and then you have police work. Police work is what you see on forensic files. It's what you see when they're going after women, people that have been raped, or when they're doing investigations. That's necessary. You know, I used to be a criminal, and you don't want no cops. Then you're going to have total lawlessness, and that ain't working either. But you just want an honest police force that you really look at as they're not breaking the law. Because I I could break the law, but I'm not putting people in jail. When you're putting people in jail for 25, 30, 40, 50 years, and then you go home and break the law, that ain't okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They got to be held to a higher standard than normal civilians because normal civilians don't put people in jail. So it's, it's a very complicated thing. But I'm glad that the dialogue is happening. I'm glad with all these uprisings and the Black Lives Matter and all this shit. The term Black Lives Matter does not offend anybody other than a racist. It doesn't offend anybody. It's like, yeah, we matter. Now you like, we're not saying Black Lives are supreme. Can we matter? God damn, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> uh, for real. Can we at least matter? You know, that's that's the lowest word on the totem pole. You know, but. I think that this Generation Z, the young kids that now are out marching, that are now on the ass end of this opiate crisis, I think these kids are going to become the next activists, young guys and girls, that are going to hopefully change this world during this, you know, this hundred years. I, I, I didn't really have hope for the last generation because... And and bug this, I blame a lot on Obama, right? Because Obama was so cool, he had us all feeling shit was all right. Obama was like, "Yeah, you know, we just caught Bin Laden, man. Y'all chill, keep chilling. You know, like (laughs) everything is good, ain't no problems. We got it. Everybody smoking weed, getting high. Go get some more Cristal. I got this. And now Trump's in. He's out of his fucking mind." And any kid, that watches, <laughs> any kid that watches him knows I need to be president. Not only I need to be, if this guy can be, I can be. Because <laughs> shit, he doesn't drop the bar so low. So I think he's scaring the shit out of the kids. And the kids are like, we're we fired, gotta up, we're fired up. So yeah. here we go. 2021, 2020, dear God. I mean, once Kobe died, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This shit, that was like the first thing in 2020 that hit me. I came into 2020 like, man, this is going to be so great. 2020 rhymes with money. I was ready. 
Ooh. This has been a rough one for everybody. Yeah. So, unlike so the presidential thing, um, I forget how many years did it go, but it was when Obama was running, and you said how you endorsed the other candidate. I think it was his first time running. You endorsed, I think it was McCain. You said, I'm endorsing McCain because I don't want, like, people think, like, I'm a bad endorsement or something like that. Are you going to do the same thing, or are you just going to be straight? No, I, I, I didn't say that. That's a misquote. What, oh, I, okay. what I said was, I can't come out and endorse Obama because I don't want to get him twisted up in my bullshit. Yeah. Um, like, if you remember when Obama ran, there was a preacher that came out, and they, because the preacher had some kind of past, they tried to drag Obama. Mm-hmm. Remember that? So I yeah. don't come out and promote Obama or Biden or anybody, and then they go, oh, look, the cop killer is supporting them. You see what I'm saying? I got a, I got a history that they can they can spin and hurt somebody, you know. So I'm the kind of person's like, nah, you know, don't worry about it. You know, I'm just trying to be. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's candidacy. Some people could come out and hurt you. It's just like when Kanye was running. What if the what if the head of the KKK came out and said, "I endorse Kanye." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been some shit? You yeah. know what I'm saying? So sometimes certain people, you know, I just keep my my uh my shit to myself. But I'm definitely not fucking with Trump. That mother yeah. that shit crazy. <laughs> I mean, all the people that support him, I understand what you want. You know, I understand drain the swamp. I understand that he's not a politician. I understand, you know, you want your guns. I understand he's going to help you. I get that. But you got to admit, this dude be saying the most crazy shit you've ever heard come out of anybody's fucking mouth. (laughs) You know, come on, don't stop lying. And it's funny, when I watch Trump supporters try to support him, they defend him, like, (laughs) to no ends. Like, to no ends. It's crazy. But he said he could come out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. And they would back him up. I mean, how gangster is that? <laughs> I think so, to, too. It's some cult. Yeah. Shit. It's some cult shit. It's like it yeah. really is like a cult. It's cult. Yeah. I mean, most people can ma- say, you know what? I was wrong about that person. I made that mistake. But dude is wild. And then all the people like, oh, he saved the economy. I'm like, so show me the Bentley that popped up in your driveway. You know. <laughs> Like where did where did it happen? Like I'm in I'm in a high tax bracket, right? I'm 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 not the one percent, but I'm not broke. You feel me? Because yeah, people mm-hmm. quickly say, "Well, Ice, you're rich." I'm like, "You ain't never been around no rich people." That's the problem. If you think I'm rich, <laughs> <laughs> so you know. to so to that point, um, over these past. I don't know, I guess since 2009, since Obama got in office, do you think the lives of those in the inner city and just inner city communities as a whole, do you think it's improved or what else What else do you want to happen in the future? What do you hope for? You know what I think, honestly, with Obama, I just think that Obama created more communication between black people and white people, which has got, got to be the core of the problems in the United States. The breakdown, to me, racism is the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Because racism leads to classism, and it leads, when one person thinks they're better than the other, then they believe they should get more, and there goes, the, the problem starts there. And I think that just seeing Obama make the presidency, it, it made me feel good, because black people, we only make up 17% of the population of the United States. White people put Obama in there. And that made a lot of black people go, wow, we do have allies. You know, there are people that aren't as racist as we like to think. You see what I'm saying? So just that mending that happened during that whole thing. And that's Trump's problem. See, Trump wants to be loved. He mm-hmm. wants to be loved. And people actually love Barack Obama. They loved him. They, they, 
I mean, I, I think he got into that White House and realized, holy shit, I can't do anything. Holy shit. You know, like this, 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 this position really, my power is so limited, you know? Um, but, but the, the, the thing of it is, is that I don't really know. I mean, honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I've been through many, many presidents. I can't really say I've seen things get better on anyone's watch. You know, I, I think that the main thing as from a president is don't send us to war. Yeah. You know, don't don't get us in some because by the time what the president does trickles down to us as citizens, it never happens. It's like you got to worry more about your your mayor, your governor, yeah. the people that really affect your day to day. That presidential stuff is so far up there. By the time it trickles down to you, I mean, it doesn't really affect you. Taxes have continued to go up my whole life. Uh, shit doesn't change. I mean, I'm in a 45% tax bracket. I mean, you know, every I, I have to give half my money away in taxes, literally, you know? And yeah. I'm not complaining, but it would be nice to see some public schools, you know? It would be nice yeah. to see, see some shit that really helped instead of, you know, military this, military that, and it would have been nice for them to have something in place for this coronavirus, you know? So you, you, when you pay those kind of taxes, you kind of hope they spend it correctly, you know? That's yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, we just did a, uh, we did a podcast episode about that. Our last one was about the military spending and how, like, how basically they're, they're giving these big defense contractors these huge contracts so they can go make tanks that go sit in the desert, you know? So they, so the uh, the executives at these companies can get wealthy. That's where all our taxes are going. Instead, right, like you said, to these public schools, to the underfunded communities. And I think that's you know the main thing that Trump has failed people on is just the massive military spending, massive, um, and he cut the taxes of the ultra wealthy. Like when you say you're not wealthy, he cut the taxes. I'm not ultra billionaires. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a billionaire. I wouldn't yeah, be open yeah. to dispensary if I was a fucking billionaire. Right. And I'm still trying to get some motherfucking money. But, you know, the, I mean, I'm not the president, but the way you rebuild this country is from the bottom up. Right. And the way and the bottom is the public school system. You know, you got to give every kid on the street a chance to have an education so that they can come out and be part of the system. But when I'm going to school, the walls are falling down. My teacher is, is coming to school on a bus looking bad, not getting paid. How the fuck is that teacher going to be able to teach me something? Like, you know, it's like, well, all this education, look what it got you. You see what I'm saying? I think teachers should be high paid, you know, so they could be something that, that, that is some, something that's, you know, like inspirational, you know? And, and there's a lot of shit, but they got to start at the bottom. You know, they got to start at the bottom and, and work their way up. And the bottom means with the kids. They got to. You know, but their attitude is let's build more prisons. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. I think we're probably going to wrap it up there. At the end of every episode, though, we leave, we give you just however much time you want to say something. Um, we don't have like a giant audience like you may have, but it may reach some high schoolers, it may reach some parents, it may reach some other people that you maybe want to send a message to them or something you want to have, you want to say something that they can hear um, and think about. Okay. Well, the two things you can learn about from this podcast is, you know, just, well, first off, Ice-T isn't too cool to do your homeboys podcast. You know, the small podcast that may not reach millions and millions of people, you know, because just being a friend of a friend, that goes a long way. And in life, those connections you make will be made more powerful than what money you think you got in your pocket. You know, I, I, I say juice is more important than cash for real. Money is spend, but true power you feel. So your contacts you make in life, the relationships you make in life 
are very, very, very important. And lastly, if people always ask me one piece of advice, it would be only take advice from people you admire. Like, and admiration is a big word, not the guy that got the cool sneakers or the, cur- the girl that got her shit, got all the boys, someone who you really admire. You know, if you're going to take relationship advice, don't take it from your guy that ain't got a girl that's sleeping on his mother's couch. Take it from your boy that's been in a good relationship from a long time or somebody you know that's been happily married for a long time. So find the people you admire and hopefully, you know, some of the listeners might have some admiration from me and then my advice will be valid. If you don't admire me, fuck everything I said. I'm a dumb fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. All right, you guys. Good luck with everything.